0: As we uh, prepare for this time this morning, one of the things I thought we could do, um, whether you're there in your living room or wherever you may be, whether whether you're gathered with your family or whether you're by yourself, is as we go to the Lord in prayer right now, one of the things I want to encourage you to do is just, I want you to think about reasons God is worthy of praise. Uh, I know that we are going through a really once-in-a-lifetime kind of situation, uh, just being away. This is our fourth Sunday, not being together. Uh, And yet, a lot of different kinds of hardships, I'm sure that you and your family, or you uh, as an individual are enduring during this time. But uh, as we keep in mind all of the different hardships, we know that God is still God, that He is still on the throne, that He is still worthy of praise. And so right now, I just think it would be good uh, there as you're watching. Uh, just maybe out loud whether you're with your family or by yourself just out loud just maybe mention a few reasons why God is worthy of praise Uh, why he would be something someone that you could trust and why he is someone that is worthy of praise even during a very difficult season uh, in the life uh, of this world the life of this country your family our church family so just give some reasons right now why God is worthy of praise and maybe even Think through this time that we've been away. Whether you you know we've been away from each other to gather, we've been away from our workplaces. Many of us, a lot of different unusual kinds of things that we're experiencing. And I just want you to to list right now out loud, if you would like, there in your home, um, reasons why you're thankful to the Lord. What is it maybe that the Lord is teaching you through this uh, long season of of being really? tucked away in our homes and places where we just can't go like we normally would. Uh, What, what maybe something the Lord is teaching you. Uh, What are some things that you're learning about yourself? Maybe you're learning about the Lord as you have time in his word. Uh, Maybe just out loud mention those uh, there in your home right now. What, What are some things that you're thankful to God for? Well, as we think, of God's goodness and as we think of God supplying our every need, let's go to the Lord now in prayer. Father, we do acknowledge that you are the king over all things. We acknowledge, Lord, that all things are in your hands and that we can trust you and we can know that you are good. Father, as we join uh, together in this way this morning, Lord, I, I just want to lift up Uh, our concerns to you and our burdens to you but even before we do that we just again want to acknowledge your faithfulness that you alone are worthy of praise that you alone O god rule the heavens and the earth and that no matter what we go through in this life no matter the things that we are called to endure you lord are worthy of praise and worthy of glory and worship uh, because of who you are Uh, you are just you are good you are faithful you are merciful and gracious and kind and loving patient father you are at work bringing about your purposes and plans even through hardship even through uh, this pandemic that we are enduring as as a world father we know that your purposes are unfolding even if we can't see them we trust that you are providing everything that is needed for our good and for your glory father we're thankful that we can join together in this way around your word this morning Uh, again lord it's not something that Uh, we would want to do on a regular basis in this way. Lord, we know that you made us to be a people to to come together, to gather together. And Lord, we long for that day when we can do so again. And Lord, we pray that you would bring an end to this so that we could one day uh, reunite very soon and just enjoy the sweet fellowship that we have as brothers and sisters in Christ. And so Lord, we would ask and plead and pray this morning that you would uh, bring that about soon. But, Lord, even as we wait for that time, Father, would you help us to be content? Would you help us to trust you? Would you help us to know that you are at work and that you're growing us and conforming us into the image of Christ even as we speak? Father, we know that there are many things that we can be thankful for and mindful of. And even as we pray this morning, we want to be praying for. Uh, Father, again, we know that there's a lot that we're enduring as as a nation, as communities and cities all over this this country, uh, Lord, as this illness continues to spread and as lives continue to be lost and sickness continues to increase. Father, we pray for these families and individuals, particularly this morning that are impacted by this sickness, this virus that's that we're enduring. Father, would you draw near to them? Would you uh, show yourself faithful and good even in the midst of suffering and sorrow? Father, we pray for healthcare workers. God, that you, many of these are working significantly long hours they're exhausted they're separated from their families and friends and they're just going through a lot of difficulty that that many of us take for granted and we would pray for them this morning that you would sustain them that you would give them everything needed so that they can do their jobs faithfully and well they could care well for people in their care father we continue to pray for our government leaders here at the local level in st. Mary's County we pray for our governor here in the state of Maryland thankful for his leadership we pray for our president and for those who are uh, ministering or serving our country uh, and, and seeking to uh, give leadership. Father, we pray for wisdom for them, that you would give guidance and clarity in the days to come. There's so many different things, Father, that they need wisdom for. Would you grant it and would you give guidance as they seek to fulfill the jobs that they've been elected to, uh, to care well for the communities around us, the cities, and our nation? Uh, Lord, as we continue to go through this time, we pray that it would be a time where our joy in you would increase, for our longing for you would be all the more, for our thankfulness for each other, for the fellowship that you've given us in Christ would be something that we would be mindful of. Lord, even as we go through this time of uh, separation and quarantine and all of these things that uh, that we're called to endure right now father would you help us to see ways to find creative ways even to love our neighbors to to be uh... reaching out even though we can't do a lot physically that we would just be mindful of ways that we can care for each other and serve for for your glory and for each other's good we pray for opportunities for the gospel to abound uh, maybe in ways that couldn't before but now uh, would be able lord we pray that the good news of jesus christ would go forward and people's lives would be transformed by the power and beauty of the gospel even through this very difficult time. Lord, we again just commit this time to you this morning. We pray for our churches. We know that uh, many churches right now throughout our country uh, and the world are having to alter the way that they do ministry. And so, Lord, we just ask for your help in that. We ask for wisdom as we seek to be faithful to you. Lord, would you give us guidance in it? And Lord, uh, help us, Lord, to love you all the more and father to be grateful for what we have in christ we do pray this all in his strong and saving name amen well as i said earlier this is the fourth sunday that we've not been able to be together and uh, it makes me long for the day when we are able to be together again and uh... we certainly want to uh... look forward to that we don't know when that will be uh... there's just not enough uh, that we know right now to be even able to to start suggesting dates and when we can be back together, but we're thankful that we can at least come to this point uh, on Sundays through this live stream. Uh, I'm thankful for our sound and audio crew that are faithful each and every week to help this happen, to make this happen. Uh, Without them, this wouldn't be happening. And so I'm very thankful for them, thankful for the way that they serve, thankful for our ministry team, our worship team helping provide uh, some, some music and support for this time. Uh, it's, uh, it's, it's what we're going to continue to do as long as the Lord has us doing this. And so, uh, we do look forward to when we, to that day when we can be back together, uh, together. Today, we're going to be looking at Lamentations chapter five. So if you'll take your Bibles and turn to Lamentations five, uh, that will be our, our final sermon in this sermon series, uh, through the book of Lamentations and quite providential. I think that we've been working through Lamentations, learning to lament, uh... as we think through what we're enduring even in this even in the world today uh... the lord has i think a word for us this morning next sunday we're going to be uh... it would be easter sunday It'll be a different easter sunday uh... but we're going to be looking at the resurrection account from the gospel of john and so we look forward to our time in the word together then but in the meantime i want us to now turn our attention to lamentations chapter five final chapter In uh, a very uh, dark and thought provoking book, as we think through all that uh, this writer has for us here, inspired by the Holy Spirit. So, Lamentations chapter 5, I want to begin reading in verse 1, and I'll read down to verse 22. This is the word of the Lord Remember, O Lord, what has befallen us, look and see our disgrace. Our inheritance has been turned over to strangers, our homes to foreigners. We have become orphans, fatherless. Our mothers are like widows. We must pay for the water we drink. The wood we get must be bought. Our pursuers are at our necks. We are weary. We are given no rest. We have given the hand to Egypt and to Assyria to get bread enough. Our fathers sinned and are no more and we bear their iniquities. Slaves rule over us. There is none to deliver us from their hand. We get our bread at the peril of our lives because of the sword in the wilderness. Our skin is hot as an oven with the burning heat of famine. Women are raped in Zion, young women in the towns of Judah. Princes are hung up by their hands. No respect is shown to the elders. Young men are compelled to grind at the mill and boys stagger under loads of wood, the old men have left the city gate, the young men their music, the joy of our hearts has ceased. Our dancing has been turned to mourning. The crown has fallen from our head, woe to us for we have sinned. For this our heart has become sick, for the things our eyes have grown dim. For these things our eyes have grown dim. For Mount Zion, which lies desolate, jackals prowl over it. But you, O Lord, reign forever. Your throne endures to all generations. Why do you forget us forever? Why do you forsake us for so many days? Restore us to yourself, O Lord, that we may be restored. Renew our days of old unless you have utterly rejected us and you remain exceedingly angry with us. Let's pray for the Lord's wisdom and help. Father, we thank you for this word. We ask now that in this last message of lamentations here in chapter 5, that you would give us wisdom and insight into what it means to lament and what it is you would call us to take away from this chapter this morning. Father, teach us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. When you think about TV, I believe Disney and Hallmark have ruined us. The reason I say that is because we all have grown accustomed to liking happy endings. In fact, it's what we're conditioned to expect. Virtually, I wouldn't say all the movies, but most of the movies, many of the movies and episodes of television shows that we watch typically end on a good and happy note. I think that That expectation bleeds over even into other areas of our life as well. Too often we look for the happy ending, the best results, the quick end to pain and suffering, the easy way. I think one of the reasons the book of Lamentations is good for us to walk through is because it doesn't have a happy ending. It doesn't end on a happy note. The book of Lamentations doesn't go all through this darkness and all of a sudden this ray of sunshine at the end of the book and all of this wonderful good news happens there at the end of this chapter. It doesn't end that way. Lamentations is good for us to walk through because it it doesn't result in a quick end to the pain. It doesn't answer all the questions we have. Lamentations doesn't try to resolve the tension and pain and devastation quickly. And we all know that pain is inevitable, that it creates strong and sometimes scary emotions in our lives. And sometimes the pain doesn't go away quickly. And we need to be prepared how to handle that. In fact, you see that here in the book of Lamentations. There's pain, there's sorrow. And even in the midst of that, there's, there's these glimmers of hope and confidence and, and expressions of trusting God. But, but there's still pain. There's still devastation. There's still Sorrow. I think Lamentations, by not ending on a happy note and by keeping us in the tension, helps inform how we ought to live in a life filled with pain and sorrow and suffering. You don't get to the end of chapter 5 and everything all of a sudden is restored. Jerusalem is not saved at this point by some great ruler that comes swooping in and runs off the Babylonians and sets up the city again and brings all the captives back. be another 70 years before another generation goes back to rebuild Jerusalem. Lamentations serves us well because it allows us to live in the tension of lament. But it doesn't leave us hanging there either. One of the things that I think it's important for us to take away from the book of Lamentations, and I think you see it here in chapter 5, is that lament, learning to cry out to God in the midst of our pain, lament gives us voice in the midst of our troubles so that we can cry out to God in hope. Lament gives us voice in the midst of these sorrows and the sufferings that we have so that we cry out to God with adequate words with true expressions from the depths of our heart, and yet in a way that still has trust and hope in the Lord. As we conclude our time in the book of Lamentations here in chapter 5 this morning, I want us to see why lament is important for the believer and why we need to make use of it throughout the course of our life. I think we're going to walk through this this morning. I want us to see some observations from this chapter Of how lament helps us to suffer in a way that is rooted in a trust in the trust of God. I want us to see four particular things that I believe that will serve us well when we consider the grace of lament. First truth that we see from this passage is that lament helps us to ask boldly. Lament helps us Leads us, it allows us to, to pray in a way that is bold. You look at verse five, or excuse me, in chapter five, verse one. There we see that the, the writer is crying out to the Lord yet again Remember, O Lord, what has befallen us. Look and see our disgrace. Two things that the, that the writer asks of God remember and look. He's praying, he's he's voicing his concern, and he specifically asks God to remember and to look. Now it's not as if when he's asking God to remember something, that somehow God has forgotten. He's not asking him to call to memory because God seems to be uh, not remembering something. Uh, He's forgotten, and that's not at all the case. When one asks God to remember, you see it here, and you see it throughout the course of scripture. The writer's asking God to, to remember to intervene based on his previous promises and his steadfast love. It's really a call for God to act in a situation based on what he's already said. The writer enters this fifth chapter, which is a fifth lament, with humility. He asks God to remember in light of their present disgrace, he acknowledges. In fact, a couple of times here in this chapter, he says it's our disgrace. There there in verse 16, he says, woe to us for we have sinned. He acknowledges that that they're the problem. This isn't God's doing because God is somehow mean or cruel. They've gotten themselves into this situation because of their own sin and their own rebellion. So he comes humbly recognizing it's their disgrace and he asks God to remember them, to remember his promises to them in light of their present disgrace. Now, in verses 2 through 18, he details that disgrace uh, very specifically. And we're going to look at that in just a moment. But for now, it's important that we stop here just a moment and consider what the writer of Lamentations is actually doing. In fact, it's what he's been doing throughout the entire book. In the midst of deep grief, he turns to God and he cries out to him. Not only does he cry out to God, he's asking God to respond. He's praying. This is an expression of faith and trust. In the midst of his darkest moment, in the midst of his sorrow, and his weeping, and his trial, he is praying to God. He's crying out to God. One of the things that lament helps us do is boldly approach God in the midst of our pain you know when people are going through a period of suffering or some kind of trial there sometimes is this tendency to not even pray at all maybe we don't think god will listen or maybe we think that we prayed before and we still ended up in this situation and what good is it why should we pray There are many reasons why we may be tempted that way, but the writer here reminds us that even in the midst of the the most horrific devastation imaginable, lament is still something that we are called towards, we are called to, to pray, that we're called to seek the Lord. Lament gives us a way to pray in the midst of our grief. It helps give voice to our pain in the midst of trouble and allows us to cry out for help. As we wade through the valleys of this life, the darkness of this world, friends, we must learn to cry out to the Lord. Too often we may be tempted to run from the pain, to surrender even to the sorrow into the midst of despair. But we need to keep in mind that, that lament helps us fight through the dark clouds, and appeal to God very specifically. And we're going to see that in the next point. But the point being here is that even in verse one, just by example, you see how lament brings us to to the point of praying and praying boldly. He's commanding God. Lord, remember, Lord, look, hear my prayers. He's asking for God to, to respond. So when you think about the sorrows, the sufferings, the trials, the troubles that you may endure, Friend, all you may be tempted to, to not pray, or maybe just be vague in your prayers, just be reminded that, that lament is the voice we need. It, it gives us the vocabulary, the words we need in the midst of our grief, in the midst of our sorrow, to cry out to God, to approach him boldly with our requests. And another lesson that we see from this chapter about lament is that a l- lament allows us to rehearse our pain specifically. Lament allows us to rehearse pain specifically. In fact, the majority of this chapter is is filled with the specifics of Israel's disgrace. The majority of this chapter is filled with the specifics of Israel's pain. The writer rehearses from verse 2 down to verse 18, the sorrows yet again. In fact, if you were to divide this up into sections, you could say that in verses two through 10, the writers speaking more or less to the economic impoverishment that they were enduring. The inheritance has been turned over to strangers, their homes to foreigners. They've become orphans, fatherless. Their mothers are like widows. They've lost their children. They have to pay for the water they drink. Often at threats, the, the pursuers are at, at their necks, verse 5, we are weary. There's, there's no rest. Everything that they, they have and it seems like they, that they, they just lift it to try to find some means of, of eating. They're ruled by slaves. Notice verse 9, we get our bread at the peril of our lives. It's costly to them even to find food. Their, fam- their, their, their skin is hot as an oven with the burning heat of, heat of famine. So there in the first, in verses 2 through 10, you see this, this economic impoverishment that, that they're enduring, their inheritance, their homes. They're, they're having to pay for basic needs for survival, oftentimes at the threat of their own lives. But then in verses 11 through 14, you see what we could call social humiliation. It's a terrible scene. Women are being raped. Princes are being hung up by their hands and humiliated. No respect being given to the elders. Young men compelled to grind at the mill. Boys stagger. You get this picture of just just almost enslavement, being overworked to the point of exhaustion. Old men have left the city gates. Young men, their music. These terrible evils, even abuse, taking place. You see that he's, he's rehearsing the pain. He's rehearsing the pain of, of being impoverished economically and, and physically, not having enough nourishment. He's, he's rehearsing the pain of just being, being horribly offended and, and attacked. Women being raped, men being overworked, and, and all of these things taking place. Just the, the degradation of the social realm. And he continues in verses 15 through 18 to, uh, to identify social and political disintegration. The joy of our hearts has ceased. Our dancing has turned to mourning. crown has fallen from our head. There's no more king. Our heart has become sick. These things, our eyes have grown dim. Verse 17, from Mount Zion, which lies desolate, jackals prowl over it see again he points back to the power and beauty of Jerusalem now gone the writer is rehearsing his pain and the pain of the city and he's asking god to remember as he does as he as he does ask god to remember he he does so as he also asks god to look upon these specific troubles i mean he's very specific he does not just say i mean it would have been a much shorter chapter had he just said, remember, O Lord, look what has befallen us, look and see our disgrace, we are ruined. But he doesn't say that. He specifies through the rehearsal of his pain, very specific things that, that he and they are, they are enduring as, as God's people, as they endure this suffering. It's been a dominant theme and a dominant tone throughout the book. But as he recounts the particulars of his sorrows, I think he's teaching us in a very important lesson. Listen, it is important that you and I, that we go to God with our specific sorrows. Friends, we are too often tempted to mute our troubles or generalize them. Sometimes we're even tempted to deny them all, altogether. As if it's bad or wrong to voice our concerns and our troubles to God. I can't say that to God. Well, he already knows your heart. so not as if he doesn't know what you're thinking anyway. So, so what we're being taught here is that it is, is a good thing to voice, to rehearse your pain to God very specifically. Lament helps us to voice our honest feelings and our specific troubles to God. Lament helps us be honest with God about the depths of our pain. Friend, sometimes we, we simply need to do that. Some of you may right now have been, maybe, maybe you've been enduring a season of suffering, of pain, and, and right now it's, maybe it's dawning upon you that, that you've not really done this. Maybe you've not cried out to God in very specific ways going to him and in the midst and being honest with the depths of, of your pain and your sorrow. Brothers and sisters, we need to be more transparent with God, even when our hearts may feel the furthest from him. By asking God to remember and to look upon our pain, we are asking him to in- enter. Now, now, it's important. You just don't stop here. There's two more points to this text but it's important that you go here. I mean, the majority of this this, this chapter is rehearsing particular sorrows. Very bold and frank, specific troubles that, that he's enduring. Because we need to be transparent with God in that way. It's, it's not to our benefit nor to God's glory to generalize our troubles or to deny it as if we don't have them. It's, it's it's not good when we do that. God would call us to cast our anxieties upon him, to, to cry out to him. By asking God to remember and look upon our pain, we are asking him to, to enter into our circumstances, but to do so in a redemptive way. Friends, we should learn from this. We should learn from this for our own sake. And and, and friends, we should learn from this for the sake of others. Sometimes we we need to to enter others' suffering in a way that helps them cry out to God. Sometimes people are in such such situations where they're so paralyzed by by the pain around them. Sometimes we need to intercede for them to cry out in in a way that you, you see the writer of Lamentations doing this on behalf of Jerusalem. It's as if he's praying these things. We cry out with them. Friends, we can do this in, in a, as we rehearse our pain specifically. We, we do it in our own lives. We do it in the lives of our friends, our, our brothers and sisters, our, our fellow Christians. We can do this as a community, as cities, just as we experience the, the pain of fallenness in general. Even going through a pandemic, we, we need to learn to, to, to cast our concerns and, and the depths of our sorrows to the Lord. It's not as it, to do this doesn't mean that, we're, that, we're, that we somehow lack faith. As if, as if we pray to God in a very bold and frank way to, to express our sorrows and concerns and the depths of our pain, how we're feeling, as if that's somehow an, a lack of faith in Him because we feel this way. I think sometimes we don't pray because we think to ourselves, I shouldn't be feeling this way, therefore I can't pray to God that, friends, that's not at all the case. I mean, Just read through the psalms, and you'll see psalm after psalm after psalm after psalm of just deep, bold prayers expressing exhaustion, expressing fear, expressing anxiety, expressing all kinds of pain, and asking God how long and why, and please hear my prayers. It's lament allows us to rehearse our pain specifically. Go to God in the midst of your sorrows and pains and rehearse those pains to him specifically. We also need to understand, number three, that lament moves us to worship God confidently. Allows us to, It helps us to ask him boldly. It helps, it helps us to go to him to, 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 in prayer to begin with. It helps us to be very specific in the rawness of our pain. But then it moves us to worship confidently. Look at verse 19. I mean, he just rehearses in verses 2 through 18 all of these horrible things. And then in verse 19, but you, O Lord, reign forever. Your throne endures to all generations. I mean, this is This is amazing. I mean, he's just talked about people starving to death, abuse, rape, famine, oppression, desolation. Verse 19, but you, O Lord, reign forever. Your throne endures to all generations. Friends, one of the things that we need to keep in mind about lament is that lament is a process. It's a journey that we go on. It involves us going to the Lord in our pain, in our struggle, but we do not remain there. We may be in that context for a season, but the posture of our heart begins to change and to be reoriented in a way where we do express confidence and trust and worship of God yet again. Lament moves us from the rawness of our pain to seeing the richness of God's faithfulness. Lament moves us from the rawness of our pain to seeing and beholding and rejoicing in the richness of God's faithfulness. Lament involves this moment of transition. In fact, lament is not lament unless you get here. If you just stopped at verse 18, that's not the fullness of what lament was intended to be. Lament involves this moment of transition often marked by a simple conjunction such as yet or but. You see it here in verse 19. Despite all the pain, despite all the awful realities the people endured, there is still a confession and realization of who God is in the midst of it all. It's as if he's saying all of these horrible things, yet I see that you are the God who reigns. They may question And he does. The scale of God's anger, the severity of his judgment, but still comes to the conclusion, you, O Lord, reign forever. Your throne endures to all generations. True true lament, biblical lament, keeps us rooted in a God-centered perspective. See this? Several times in the Bible, just a couple other examples outside of Lamentations, in Job, book of Job, Job chapter 1, verse 21, Job says, The Lord has given, the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In Job 13, verse 15, we looked at this a few weeks ago, Job says, Though he slay me, yet I will hope in him. Habakkuk, the prophet Habakkuk, there in chapter 3, the end of that short little uh, minor prophet there in the Old Testament. In chapter 3, verse 17 and 18, this is what the prophet says. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food. Though the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. You see what lament helps us do is it helps us to cry out boldly and specifically in our pain, but yet it moves us from that pain to trusting in and affirming the power and sovereignty of God, even while suffering lingers, even while suffering lingers. Life friends, life is filled with moments of season, moments and seasons even of sorrow. We, we, we like to pretend that it doesn't. We like to pretend as if we've got it all together. We like to just, come, you know, well, how are you doing? I'm doing great. world just fell apart this week, but I'm doing great. Listen, listen. if I could tell you one thing, church, quit lying and learn to lament. That would be a good word for us all. We, we, we're good liars. We're good liars. When our world is shaking, oh, I'm doing fine. Come on. Lament helps us move from that that, that false reality that, that superficial presentation of how we would present ourselves to being open and honest. How was your week? It was terrible. How was your day? This happened I don't understand why, and it hurts and and I'm, and I'm mad I'm, I'm frustrated. well let's pray together about that. You see lament helps us express these things, but, but in the midst of that, it grounds us. It keeps us grounded to the truth of who God is. And you see it all throughout. Lord is given, the Lord is taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Crown has fallen from our head. Woe to us, for we have sinned. For this our heart has become sick. For these things our eyes have grown dim. But you, O oh Lord, reign forever. Your throne endures to all generations. You have endured, and some of you are enduring, those seasons of pain when we wonder if God even sees us. But one giant truth Lamentations reminds us of is that God's reign and God's control of all things remains firm, even through loss and trouble. You see this, this, confidence in the sovereignty of God, in the, in the faithfulness of God, in the eternal reign of God, no matter all that's taken place. Listen, no amount of trouble can cause this fact to be undone. No pandemic, no amount of grief, no amount of suffering or sorrow, nothing can remove the fact that God reigns forevermore. As the momentary afflictions that we endure are in sovereign hands. And when we have nothing else to cling to, when our world has been flipped upside down and when our lives have endured suffering and sorrow, and we have nothing else to cling to, we have this. We have verse 19. For my world has been rocked, but you, oh God, reign forever. You, you rule for all of eternity. I don't get it. I don't like it. I'm... I'm crushed but god you reign you're the king this is what lament does it gets us here it roots us it centers us in this reality of who god is so whether it's unbearable grief painful hardship uncertainty job loss financial impact fear of sickness on and on we go just list The troubles, God still reigns. Even when we don't know how things will unfold, even when it seems as if the darkness will not lift, lament serves us in that it causes us, it helps us, and it enables us to see and cling to God despite all that we may feel. Lament moves us to worship confidently. Number four, Final point, lament tunes our hearts soberingly. Lament tunes our hearts soberingly. He says, verse 19, but you, O Lord, reign forever. Your throne endures to all generations. And then look at verse 20, he's back. Why do you forget us forever? Why do you forsake us for so many days? Do you see the tension he's in? He's affirming truth and struggling. He's affirming truth and he's struggling. He's questioning. He's concerned. He's he's in the depths of sorrow, but yet trusting. So lament helps to tune our hearts. And by the time you get to verse 21, you, you see that in the midst of that tension, he's still praying. Verse 21, restore us to yourself, O Lord, that we may be restored. Renew our days as of old. He says, listen, this is an important verse because what the writer asked for here is important for us to see. You've gone through the entirety of these five chapters. You've seen the depths of his grief, the depths of his sorrow, the things that have crushed him, the bones that have been broken in him, the the way that he's been tormented, the way that he's been suffering. And he now prays in verse 21, restore us to yourself. Notice what he does not pray. Notice what he does not say. He doesn't say, but you, O Lord, reign forever. Your throne endures through all generations. Why do you forget us forever? Why do you forsake us so many days? Make the pain go away. He doesn't pray that. Relieve my suffering. Notice he doesn't ask directly for the trial to be lifted. He asks for a relationship to be restored primarily. Take us back, O God, when we were in right relationship with you. He doesn't ask for a ceasing of the pain as much as he wants it and as much as they need it and as much as he has been praying for. But here his prayer is simply, restore our relationship. This is important for us to see. While Lamentations does not end with this restoration taking place. It ends with the request of it. It doesn't end with it happening yet. While Lamentations doesn't end with this restoration taking place, we do know that the prophet Jeremiah speaks of the day when it would. Not only did Jeremiah warn the people of God, not only did he prophesy the destruction would come, he also prophesied about what would happen after. It's in Jeremiah 29 where Jeremiah writes a letter to the exiles, those who had been taken out of Jerusalem when Jerusalem was sacked by the Babylonians. They are taken out of Jerusalem into captivity, into Babylon. And Jeremiah writes a letter to them to encourage them, to keep them staying the course. He writes this letter to to encourage them. And this is what he says in Jeremiah chapter 29, verse... I mean, I'm not going to read it all, but verse 10. For thus says the Lord... You will seek me and find me. When you seek me with all your heart, I will be found by you, declares the Lord. And I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I've driven you, declares the Lord. And I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. See, the prophet prophesied about this promise that this restoration would come. Is that chapter that in verse we all quote and have all over our walls. Jeremiah 29, for I know the plans I have for you. It's important that we keep that in the context. Don't just apply that blanketly to our lives. This had the context of exile. God is promising to restore Israel, to restore the people of God back into their lands. It's a promise that he made to them. And so even in this promise, God is is showing this renewal would take place. It doesn't happen in chapter 5. There's not a chapter 6 in Lamentations where restoration happens. We know they were told it would. And more than simply rebuilding Jerusalem, Jeremiah goes on to describe something even far greater. In fact, it's in Jeremiah chapter 31 where he speaks of a new covenant. And I think it's a great point for us to see this because A lot of times we're in the midst of a trial and our prayers are simply filled with taking the trial away and not on God restoring or strengthening our relationship with him. But in Jeremiah chapter 31, he promises this new covenant would come. Not only would they be restored, but they would be given something far greater. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of Egypt, my covenant that they broke. The reason they're in exile to begin with. Though I was their husband, declares the Lord. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it upon their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. No longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they all shall know me. When least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. We know that that was ultimately fulfilled when? Not when Jerusalem was rebuilt, but when Jesus came and gave his life. This inaugur- he inaugurated this new covenant where sin could be truly and totally forgiven. It would be this new covenant that God would establish with his people that would bring ultimate renewal, this prayer for restoration and renewal. They were probably thinking city, be rebuilt, walls rebuilt, temple rebuilt. God says, I'll do you better than that. I'm going to give you a new covenant where all people can come and have their sins forgiven once and for all, and I'm going to send my son to pay the price for it. You see, they long for a renewal, but God would bring them something far greater than a restored Jerusalem. See, lament is not... Lament is not so bent on easing our pain as it is on posturing our heart rightly, on helping us see what we need to see and pray what we need to pray. Lament helps to instruct and ground us in what is true. You know, I saw this question by Sinclair Ferguson this week. I thought it was good as we think through lamentations and as we think about what we're encountering even in our day and time today, or suffering whatever suffering you may be enduring. He said, Do I learn in dark providences or simply seem relieved when they are over? I think that's a helpful question for us all to think through. When when dark providences end, are we simply relieved? Or have we learned something through them? You see, lament is not so bent on easing pain, but reposturing our heart so that we learn more of God and learn more of his faithfulness so that we see all that he's truly promised us. Friend, the very thing you and I need to see in the midst of our sorrows is not ultimately an end to them. What we need to see the most is God. Though we pray for an end to the sorrows, for sure. See, as a believer, God may indeed be using certain sorrows and trials to refine you, to make you more and more like Jesus. For some of you, he may be using sorrow and hardship as a means to awaken you to the truth of who he is so that you may see that he has loved sinners and that he sent his son into the world to live a righteous life, to die a sinner's death, to be raised three days later from the grave as victorious so that we would put our hope in him knowing that this is the only way we can be right with the holy God. And so, for some of you, it may be that hardship and sorrow are awakening you to that reality, stripping you bare of who you are so that you put your ultimate hope and trust in Christ. See, being restored in a right standing with God is of utmost importance, even when the rubble of Jerusalem remained. Restore us to yourself, O Lord. Renew our days. Of old. You know, had the book ended there, we might say that it ended on a positive note, but it doesn't. Verse 22 reminds us of the tension the writer feels and the depths of the pain that still exists. Restore us, Lord. Renew our days as of old, unless you have utterly rejected us. And you remain exceedingly angry with us. And they lived happily ever after. No. (laughs) Still feels the effects of the darkness. The book doesn't end with the response from God, at least not this book. So, does the book have a happy ending? On one hand, no. The darkness still remains, the devastation is still so evident. But the story isn't finished. While it doesn't end with Jerusalem living happily ever after, it does end with people leaving their case and their pleas with God to respond when he so chooses. The promises of God had had given them all indication that he would answer. Why is he still praying in verse 21 the second to last verse of the book, why is he still asking God for restoration? Because he knows down deep that God's made promises. He's clinging to those promises, and yet he still feels the devastation and the pain, the reality of the darkness. It seems as if as he ends this, he recognizes that God is the king, that he does reign forever, that his hope surely is in the Lord, and yet it is surely God's prerogative in God's timing in God's way to respond when he so chooses to answer this prayer for restoration. So what does all this teach us? It teaches us no matter the brokenness or pain you might experience, today, tomorrow, no matter the sorrow, no matter the suffering, you can and must run to the Lord. You can and must cry out to him specifically, boldly, And you must trust him in his timing, in his way to respond. See, for those who are in Christ, the story does end well. Maybe not in our lifetime, but there's coming a day when all our sorrows, all our suffering, all our pain, yes, even our exile, will be no more. Revelation 21, verse 3 and 4 speaks of that day. It says, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death will be no more. Neither shall be their mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Friends, there's coming a day when God himself, when Jesus will descend and all his promises will be fulfilled and we all will be safely home. But until that day, let's keep crying out. Let's keep trusting. Let's keep looking to the one, the only one that can restore us and get us home. Friends, let's lament, but let's lament with eyes fixed upon our great eternal king. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for exposing us to this discipline, this grace of lament. As we think through the course of our lives, Lord, we all will endure suffering. We all will go through periods and times and seasons of devastation and difficulty And, Lord, as we even look in the example of Jerusalem's fall, Father, we're reminded that you never leave nor forsake your people, even when it seems as if that has happened. Father, you have a great purpose. You have a work that you're doing in the course of your people's lives, and we thank you that we we can see that from beginning to end as you've given us all of Scripture to see that. Father, we thank you that Lamentations 5 is not the end of the story. We thank you that you did write another chapter. Though it's not found in the book of Lamentations, Lord, we know that there is yet another chapter written, and it is the Lord Jesus himself who came and embodied that chapter so that we could be fully and finally and ultimately restored to you. Father, we thank you that it is this Savior that will one day descend and make all things new. God, would you help us in the midst of our sorrows to cry out to lament, but to lament in hope and with confidence in you. Father, we thank you for teaching us this. Help us to do it. We pray in Jesus' name.